Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club. I believe luck is an ingredient that's necessary for a successful life. Whatever you're starting, building or shipping, I'm here to tell you, without luck, you're not going to make it. I've been testing my luck as an entrepreneur since I was 15 years old. I've had plenty of failures and successes. And I'm fascinated by the things I couldn't control, the moments that made my career and the ones that threatened to end it. In each episode, I'll invite a guest to share their stories about luck, the good and bad, and together we'll test my theory about luck's role. Georgian Slips is a serial tech entrepreneur, venture capital investor, and an expert lean startup trainer. Today, he is the founder and CEO of the Rainmaking Venture Studio, where he partners with large corporations to do risk the process of creating new businesses. So welcome, Jordan. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. Well, I always like to start the podcast off by just asking how people define success. So how do you define success? To me, um, it's, well, this is the thing, right? Do you separate personal from, from professional? To me, I think that's a, a fallacy. I think that, you know, you, you live one life in an office somewhere and you go back to a totally different life is, is nonsense. I think they, they are one and the same. And how you're not a different person in the office than the one you come home to. You aren't living to separate characters. So for me, success is kind of how do you ultimately live a, a fulfilled, purposeful life um, and that means everything. But, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, and this is why I get so excited about the entrepreneurial way of life, is you're in control of both of those things, in crafting everything, whether you choose to build that business, who your customer is, what business model you have. All of these things are 100% in your control. So you have this sort of great role and responsibility of choosing to build something that that allows, if you want to be at home with your, your kids more, then create a business that allows for that uh, and so on. So for me, success is about you know getting out of bed every single day and really believing in what you're doing, um, not feeling embarrassed, ashamed about any of it, but genuinely being proud and constantly personally learning. Like for me, it's the thing, the number one driver for me is not how much money you're in the bank and all that nonsense. It's about am I sort of making some sort of improvement on a basically I have a philosophy where you're either climbing or you're sliding I don't believe in a plateau if you're stationary you're treading water you're sliding so for me what actually gives me the the fulfillment is how do I continually improve whether it be learning new things professionally whether it be in the gym with health whether it be emotionally am I a better uh, boyfriend husband what you know sort oh. of partner all of these things um, that's and you can't do all of those things at the same time but i'm always looking at how do i move the needle on one of those elements and i tend to sort of have over the years there are times when one is more important than the other or two are more important than the other but i'm trying to sort of complete the set if you will and i know that will never be complete but that's for me it's about doing stuff that i love that i feel purpose but always having that progress that sense of progress on a holistic sense I think that's uh, an amazing answer. Do you, do you, have you always been that way? And, and what I'm thinking about is people out there today that, frankly, they have got separate lives. You know, they, yeah. they, they yeah. might consider themselves successful, but you know, they go into their job during the day and they are very different people when they go home. I mean, I, I know a, f a few 
people like that. You know, a lot of people do live that way. No choice. And you hear things like side hustle. So do what you love on the side until you can afford to do it full time and do what you hate to pay the bills. So there's a lot of people not living your way. Um, have you always lived this way? Is this something you've always no, 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 no. I, I fell into... Um I mean, I started kind of the atypical way, right? So, like, I came out of university, went into the city, became a banker, right? I worked in investment banking. And, you know, in many ways, I was hugely successful. Like, my parents, friends would say, oh, because basically it was coming down to, oh, you're earning a ton of money, right? And the truth was, the company owned my ass. I was working, and I don't mind working long hours, but I was working every hour of the day, and I wasn't a good friend. I wasn't a good, you know, place and relationship. And the main thing is not so much the hours; it's the type of person it made me become. Mm. And I, there was this uh, this moment which was I sat down at the Christmas table with my parents, and my m I said something, and my mum started crying at the Christmas table, and I was like, "Why are you crying?" And she sort of sobs, and she goes you've just become an arsehole. And there is this stereotype, you know, sort of banker wanker, right? But if you hang around with those people and you're only in there and you're in the echo chamber and suddenly it's these phrases that come out and, you know, you're trying to judge, you, you're, I don't know, like the kind of way you're judging yourself of what's important, like the, the yardstick of how you're measuring success gets distorted by that environment. And suddenly it was all about like the money and the material gain and, and nothing about who am I as a person? And like, do people like me? And, and that's when I kind of woke up and was like, regardless of the money, this is just, this is not worth it. I wanna be a different human being and I owe that to myself first, but then to my family and to my friends. And so I quit and my father, who comes from a very different generation, right? He started work at 14 as a baker and became a chef. He just couldn't understand how I quit with no, without having another job to go to. And for him, he was just like, how do, you, how do you do that? It's like irresponsible. The one thing I knew, or the two things that I had, right? One was I knew that given those hours in that environment, I wasn't going to have the space emotionally or the time to find out what I want to do next because I, wasn't, I, di I didn't know, right? So I needed to create that, which meant I had to sever that bond to give me the space emotionally and time to figure and answer that question out properly. Two, and I think this is the key thing to entrepreneurship, right, is... I just backed myself. I, I had faith and belief in me that I would be okay. Like, I didn't, I didn't know how or what it would be, but it's like, yeah, there was a bit of money in the bank, but like, I would figure it out. And I would invest in myself and back myself, bet on myself to figure it out. And having that sort of confidence meant that it was actually easy for me. As soon as I saw this, like, I don't want to be this human being, just to pull the ejector seat. You know, it's kind of like, pull it, get out, We'll figure out a plan later. Wow. Well, I, I, I first of all think that there's a huge amount of people out there that are sitting on the fence, thinking about quitting their job, listening to this, thinking, I, I need to have, I need to do it. But where did the belief come from? A lot of people would mm. be very scared. And, and like you say, there's a lot of parental pressure. Um, oh, yeah. you know, if your parents work very hard to put you through you know, education to then see you in a great job and then you quit, you know, it's, it's not just you, it's, it's the whole image also gone. And the second thing I find interesting, I'd love to just delve into a little bit more that you're talking about, is how the job you're doing changes you yeah. for the good or, or for the worse. And I think that's a really fascinating thing. So good self-awareness, how did you wake up, let's say? Um, 
what in, sorry, in terms of like deciding to to move and quit how did that moment come about and, and, and when you did it did the self-confidence was it already there or did it come from you know this is the interesting the self-confidence piece I you know we have this there's a debate right where is entrepreneurship nature versus nurture right like how much of this stuff can be taught and having spent a few years of my life in in academia teaching entrepreneurship like I, I absolutely know that there are skills that can be taught that will increase the likelihood of your success in taking an entrepreneurial path. Building businesses, doesn't matter what type of business, for sure. However, what I think the most important part of entrepreneurship is not so much the skill, it's that mindset. And for me, although you can do things to change mindset, I'm much more in the camp of it's more nature versus nurture. Like, there are people in this world where you, by definition, have to take risks. You can't, you just, entrepreneurship doesn't happen without risks, right? Now, the better your skill set gets, you can lower, like, lower that risk to a degree, but it will always be there. And you'll always have to have some leap of faith. There's a little, you can try and reduce it to a point, um, but you're going to have to jump, right? And so there's this piece around it where, and once you've made that jump, you have to be comfortable always being uncomfortable. And so the way I look at it, especially over the time, is, Real entrepreneurs thrive in that environment and some people can survive and some people get trashed by it. And I think you can teach people to survive a bit better. Some people who would, it's just not for them, it's not for them, right? And it's not a bad thing. It's just, let's be honest about who you are and it's just not suited for everyone. But you can really reduce that risk. But there are an element where I think you're either born with this element of th genuinely thriving in it, where you, you're like a flywheel that picks up your own momentum and you just, boom, which is why you know, you have this phrase of, you know, a fish, like in China, you know, a fisherman always recognizes another fisherman from afar. And I think that is so true with entrepreneurship, with real entrepreneurs. And what I mean by that is like, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but like, I'm sure you've been, Simon, where you've been at a dinner party and there's other normal sort of, you know, accountants, whatever, like other friends doing normal jobs and you suddenly meet someone who's sort of doing entrepreneurial and you just clock. Next thing you know, you're kind of the embarrassing. Well, we had that, yeah. I mean, our yeah. first meeting was a bit like that for me. But yeah. And you have that embarrassing moment where you're kind of ruining the rest of the dinner party because, you know, you're engrossed mm. chatting about stuff and everyone else becomes sort of white noise mm. to, to your conversation. And I, and I think that that happens because of this, like a real affinity that goes deeper than the skill set. It's just this kind of like, we get it. Like, we get it. Like you, we could build, you could be building a drinks business, I could be building a tech company, it doesn't matter, like we get it. And talking about it, and then there's also an element around it where, and I don't think this is a fair, because I've, I've not been in the theater of war, but like speaking to my friends who have been in the military, you can talk about wanting to become a soldier or whatever, and you can talk about, yeah, I'll be fine. There's a difference between talking about it and thinking about it and wanting it and then having been there. Mm. And until you've been there and you've lived it, you're not really part. You know, there's a and thing. there is an argument, do you really want to go there and live it? Correct, <laughs> correct, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and where are you getting that message from, right? Mm. Who's telling you that that's a good idea or where, you know, what pressure, whether it's parents, like, mm. oh, your father, your grandfather, they're in the army, you should do that. Mm. You know, there's loads of pressures, uh, you know, societal, friend, there's a ton of them. Mm. Getting to the truth of what's right for you, that's the most important thing. How do you do that? Ah, like, genuinely being able to, to listen to yourself, but like, I think there's an element of you're gonna have to do stuff and you're gonna have to reflect about how that's really affecting you. What's giving you energy and what's taking away energy? Right. And I think the energy analogy is, is the best um, compass for me over the years to calibrate, which is if I get to the end of the day, do I feel run down if I'm meeting someone or I'm doing a particular activity? Is it 
recharging my batteries or am I having to, is it depleting them or having to go away and recharge them elsewhere? Mm. And there's an element here where I talk about success. Success for me is doing stuff where the vast majority of the time is recharging. It's like, it's building up that flywheel. It's giving me energy as opposed to, it, you can't reach 100%, mm. but how do I have the vast majority of my time being spent such that that's happening? Mm. Wow, I think that, that again, you, you know, your insights are, are spot on as far as I'm an entrepreneur, so when you talk, I, I can really resonate with it. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the dinner party <laughs> thing. I've actually had an experience where I meet someone who is actually for example a banker but they should be an entrepreneur yeah yeah <laughs> and it kind of that like oh you're you know why are you doing oh. that when you should be doing this and you just know that they're in the wrong place oh yeah and and actually it's part of the reason i'm doing this podcast i want i want those people to get insights from people like you so that they can make the leap into what they're meant to be doing because it takes courage and you have to push through your fear but if you do your life it's what it's meant to be and i'm actually thinking also i'm mentoring someone i know you do a lot of mentoring and have mm. done a lot of mentoring yeah. in the past i'm mentoring someone at the moment who is a very talented entrepreneur but they were a banker for eight years and they they can't help but keep trying to fall back into that world and i wonder do you sometimes have that you know do you sometimes think oh it would be nice just to you know go back to a business where i'm not managing massive teams and worrying about not just managing that team but their cash flow and their salaries and all those other responsibilities you now have that you wouldn't have inside say a corporate i i couldn't i i, I just know i could never become an employee again i, I genuinely couldn't Unless, um, unless someone out there wants to offer you a billion dollars. It's not about that. Like, honestly, I I'd say no. I like, genuinely, I'd say no, right? You know, know this, you this, this is the thing. It's it, having enough money just to, like, support your family and get on and have, them like, the basic stuff, right? Luckily, I, I'm sitting, like, it's, okay, I'm, I'm sitting in a very privileged situation where I kind of have my cake and eat it. I build a business that gives me the quality of life that I want. And, and I have a few other luxuries. I get to go on great holidays and, and I can afford that. But even if I couldn't go on the great holidays and it just came down to brass tacks of like, you know, it supports me in an ongoing way, like I know I'd be happier. So yeah, I could easily earn more money becoming an employee elsewhere, but like I wouldn't be the human being that I would be, or, or, or like that, I, that I'd be proud of. Therefore, I wouldn't be the dad that I want to be. I wouldn't be the husband that I want to be. And I wouldn't be the friend I want to be. And it's just, I'd be living a different life. And like, there's an element around it where I can't, I can't be fake. You, this, 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 you get one shot of this game called life, one shot. And when you look at it, this is a great poster, right? Which if you, it plots every single week, assuming you live to 90 years, and it shows every single week as a line on a poster. And when you f see it, you can print it out. It's actually not that big. You look at every single one of those weeks in 90-year lifespan, right? Now, the probability of us reaching 90 is still probably not, it's slimmer, 60 maybe, but it's not like 80, 90% that we're going to reach 90. And you look at it and you think, wow. And when you see it, the biggest takeaway for me is one of those lines is actually quite a large proportion of that. And when you see it, it's just a reminder. There's a visual aid that comes to me, which is like, you get one shot and every week it actually counts. You know, passing by years of your life, especially in your healthy prime, doing stuff that isn't you, that isn't the real you, that you're not really progressing in the areas, you're, you're treading water, but you're only, like, I, I can't compute that. I just can't. But with this mindset that you've got and this knowledge you've got, how did you even survive a week in a corporate? <laughs> uh, good, uh, good question. Um, you know, there is this sort of, you don't know what's on the other side of the fence until you're there. It's 
because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know, right? And so, like, yeah, I came out of university and was like, go get a good degree from good university. So I went and did that, you know? Then it was like, yeah, go get a job in London. Like, go and do that. And then it's like, what does, you know, I've done everything that I'm told to do and somehow actually I'm really upset with who I am and like, this isn't right. Now, having the courage to pull that ejector seat, I can't explain to you. I just, I woke up one day and I was like, you know, especially that, that, that moving moment. And it was, it, that wasn't just the singular one, my mum crying. There was, you look back and I suddenly was like, there's a lot of warning signals out there. And I just sort of thought, mm, I've, got to do, I've got to do this. I've got to do this for me and for everyone else. Um, and then there's a journey. And it, there was a lot of bumps and it's very easy to talk about now that I'm in a very comfortable situation, having built it. There was some really crap moments, right? And there are moments where it's tough to get out of bed and you think, oh, I made the worst mistake, I've given it all up, what are you doing? But, you know, there's this piece around it where you've got to go and put yourself out there and you've got to try new things and that's kind of like, the way, like do, you learn really by doing. It's kind of like, that's my, my belief, right? You can look at books to a certain point, but it's, you've got to, you've got to go do it. And getting real experience for it doesn't mean you have to commit to it. So I think there's a, a mindset as well, which is an old school mindset, which is like, oh, you start a new job. You have to stay a year or two. Why? You go try in. If you're two months in and you know this is not for you, get out. Oh, what about my CV? Who cares? Mm. Like, what? Where is this? It's like, it's this like shampoo science. Yep. I don't understand this, you know. Actually, th this problem also exists in startup land. I, I, yeah. I, I meet people that say, I'm going to keep this business going and I don't want it to fail. You know, oh all, God, yeah, yeah. And, and and you're like, well, is it a business that's going to work? If it's going to work, then carry on. If it's going to fail, then good, do something else. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it's similar. You get caught in the, when you're an entrepreneur and you start a business. And I've also been in this situation. You build a business, but you don't necessarily like it. <laughs> that happens, especially <laughs> yeah. in the early years when you don't know what you want. And second, you build a business that you get trapped in, right? That can yeah. also happen. And a lot of entrepreneurs I know out there get stuck, and it's like being employed. You're also doing something you don't really like every day, but you kind of. Oh, it happens money. a lot. And I think actually happens a lot more um, because of the rise of sort of venture capital. And what I mean by that is uh, I get a bit upset about how entrepreneurship has suddenly become all about Silicon Valley, right? You've got to be building a unicorn. It's got to be a tech startup. You've got to raise capital. If you're not doing a VC back. Great you Morgan accent, by the way. Sorry, you, yeah, you no, perfected right. it. <laughs> but like, I just remember like, you know, you go into these events and people would get up on stage and be like, if you're not building a billion dollar business, like you're an idiot. And I'm mm. like, Am I? I'm no, definitely an idiot. No, shut up. You're an idiot. <laughs> like, you know, what are you talking about? And and I, I think there's this element where like the PR and the press and the pink neon and the fireworks of all of it is all about this valley stuff and this venture capital stuff. And and I, I you know, the, there are pros and cons to it, but like I think there are a lot of negatives that no one talks about. One of which is this entrapment of the entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is, so many businesses are started with uh, a founder or two founders or whatever, you know, co-founders with a vision and a mission that they wanted to do. And typically, it's like they wanted to make the world a better place. And I know that sounds super cheesy, and it kind of always is when you say it. Mm -hmm. But they genuinely wanted to do something, fix something, like had like a little chip on their shoulder, and they're like, I want to do this. And then they raise money, and then they're executing, and then the investors are like, oh, but there's a better, more financial, bigger opportunity over to the right here. So let's pivot, let's whatever, let's change direction. I met a startup and yesterday who had exactly that thing from an investor, exactly and, that. Exactly. And suddenly, you know, you wanted to do X, like, you know, whether it's as mundane as you wanted to be a direct-to-consumer company, and now you're doing an enterprise B2B business, and you hate enterprise sales, and, and it's a very different business model. And now you're like, oh, but I'm doing that because the investors kind of told me, and then, you know, you're now like wedded to it. Yeah. You're like, like arguably, morally, ethically, and legally, 
you know, contracted to deliver a return to your investors. And suddenly you wake up and you're like their prisoner. Well, you're actually working for them. That's yeah, you're the working. Fear, you're, yeah, it? you're working for them, and you've lost sight. And the amount of times that like, even in our accelerator programs, like Startup Bootcamp, where I've I've literally said to like we've got equity in them, right? Gone to the founder and said, you need to go back to your vision and your passion because you've lost the passion in this. And like, if that means building a business that will only be thirty million, great, awesome. Do that. Like, if I never get a return on my equity, I don't. Like, genuinely, you are a very unusual investor. But that's that but that's not a diff- normal. That I know, but the, I suppose founders get the normally. That's diff- like keep pushing. Oh, absolutely. This is where the money is. A- absolutely, and that's and that's where it's like. I was an entrepreneur first, right? And so this is different things. Like in Europe as well, I get a bit annoyed about the VC scene in Europe because most of the VC scene in Europe are guys who are like ex-finance people and they've never built anything in their life. And it's like, what company have you built? What have you done? Right? America is slightly different. Venture capital began with entrepreneurs having had successful exits, being like, I don't want to retire. How do I like go and help the next generation? But like, how do I work a little bit less? Because it's hard, right? If you're trying to do something that hugely scales to you know billions of dollars. And so they became VCs. They're like, oh, I'll put some money, I'll invest in, and, and whatever. And their mentality and their respect and understanding that the real talent is the entrepreneur. Like, having money is easy. There's abundance of cash. That's not hard, right? Like, oh, wow, you crunch an Excel spreadsheet. Like, what do I... You know, and there's this piece here where, like, a lack of empathy. And in Europe in particular, it's just, you know, it's sort of the, you know, the, the vampire squid, right, <laughs> of finance. And, and again, I think there is just in entrepreneurship generally in, in the startup scene, in which when we talk about startups, it's often the tech stuff, right? And often the lifestyle businesses get not talked about enough, which I get really upset about. But in that world, there's a massive asymmetry of of information understanding and i i kind of believe actually the vcs propagate this asymmetry information because they benefit from it and they're not being honest they're not really got the entrepreneurs back and it's like that's a commodity i can churn you know they go oh mathematically i know that i invest in 10 startups nine will fail one will work and so they're like they're expecting death you know it's like whatever are they really going to help you are they really going to roll up the sleeves i also think there's a data corruption problem out there um, for example, um, in podcasts, you're not supposed to have your phone on, and I've got my phone on, so sorry, listeners. <laughs> Very unprofessional of me. Um, but there's a data problem. I saw a report from one of the big four. I feel like naming them, but I don't want to get sued. Mm. And, they, <laughs> and they basically said that um, profit in a company goes up by 36% if the founder is replaced by a trained CEO. When I dug into that report, that was the headline. It all sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? And yeah. then when you dig into it, you realize a lot of these companies don't last three years after that. They make more and more profit, but they don't last. I mean, of course, Apple, Steve Jobs is a good example. Yes, you bring in uh, a fizzy drink CEO, and uh, he, he, he makes the company more profitable for a short time, and then bang, the energy's gone. Hmm. The essence of it has gone. The point you're making about the vision, right? So. Well, I, I feel like with uh, your knowledge and experience, we could talk forever. I, I've got yeah. a few more questions. Sure, uh, please so do. People listen to this podcast on their way to work, so they, they don't have long. Um, I, I, I have this theory about luck. You know, you flip a coin and heads or tails, right? I mean, which one is it? Um, what, 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 which, what do you think about luck? What's your, uh, I love what, this question. What are your lucky moments? No, so, so my view on luck, right, is um, I'm going to ram. I'll try and make this consent, uh, sorry, concise. This word serendipity. Right. If you look at the etymology or the origins of where this world word came from, it came. It was first coined in um, the diaries of uh, Horace H. Walpole, and he was talking about the tale of the three princes of Serendip. 
And Serendip is modern-day Sri Lanka, so the Isle of Serendip, Sri Lanka. And the story, in short, is about these three princes get invited to a wedding on the other side of the island. And each prince chooses a different mode of transport. One goes walking, the other one goes um, on horseback, and the other one goes into a carriage. And they end up at the, the, uh, the wedding. But it talks about the difference, the fundamental difference in the journey of those three. Right? So the one that walks opens themselves up to more interaction with other people, opens themselves up to actually more opportunity and like serendipitous moments, like unforeseen, unexpected, like fortuitous good events. Right? And simply put, the last prince who is in the carriage and clothes gets there from A to B, zero, like no serendipity, like very limited serendipity. And the biggest takeaway of this story is each of us are in control of our, our own journey, how we travel, our sagaciousness, our sagacity, right? How we're going through life. You will make choices that fundamentally will increase your probability of good things happening to you or decrease them. Therefore, and I really believe this, and, I, and I've, I've sort of applied this logic to my life. It's a case of like, you can make your own luck. And so when like Napoleon says, oh, the one quality I look for in my generals is, you know, are they lucky, right? And, and that's not a facetious comment. That's like, are they aware of their like journey through life? And are they choosing different modes of sargastic journey such that they're opening themselves up to luck or closing themselves off? So for me, it's about always thinking to yourself or stopping on a heartbeat, whether it's every quarter or every month, and just thinking about, I've got into a rut, I'm now living like this, this, this pattern, this habit. Is that opening myself up to stuff or not? Right? And like, we know this to be true, but like a lot of people don't carve out the time in the calendar to think about it and to engineer it, to change, to take that change of like journey. Well, you know, if you're looking for love, sitting on your sofa watching Netflix every day is not gonna, like, you're not going to find it. You've got to put yourself out there. We know this, like, simple things. Same is true in business. Same as ever. Like, how many new people are you meeting? And how proactive... Cause and effect, basically. Cause right. and effect. That's how I view it. Mm. Um, well, that's a great way of putting it. I, I think you're... I, I would say I think luck is a skill, and I get a lot of hate, actually, for this, because then people post up and send me often the definition of luck, which is a random yeah. happening. And my argument is that people use luck in that context, but it's actually being defined wrong. And um, I also, what I take from your story there is sometimes the journey, like for example, if you fly somewhere, yeah. you actually have less of an experience than if you say, for example, go by ship yeah, yeah. or a different type of experience. But like you say, you don't necessarily open yourself up to new experiences if, if you, um, I mean, I always remember um, Oprah Winfrey, she uh, saying that she, whenever she flew somewhere, she'd always, when she got into the car, she'd never sleep or she'd always look out the window and always enjoy what was going on around her yeah. and, and absorb it all in. Whereas some people might get in the car and just have a sleep and then they miss all that experience, right? So that's kind of sometimes what I feel like if you get a job, it's like you get in the car and you go for a sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of looking out the window and, and seeing what's going on, yes, you might need a sleep, which entrepreneurs often do. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, at least you're, you're experiencing the world, right? So that, yeah, that absolutely. Kind of example. So just credit uh, Oprah Winfrey on that. But. So, um, I mean, wrapping up, I, I always like to ask this final question, which is, um, and maybe before I ask it, I wonder, what age did you uh, leave banking? Oh, uh, about 20, 25. 25, okay. So yeah. you've been in how long? Two, three years? Three years. Three years, yeah. Okay, so if you went back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Oh, my God. Um, 
It's, I mean, you know, knowing like knowing what I know now, um, I I feel a little not ashamed. You know, my biggest advice is like, don't don't just do something because like people, society are telling you to do it. Stop and ask like, why? Like, do I really agree with that? Is that really for me? Um, make your own choices, but make them informed. Go get the data. Go figure out works works for you, and and pave your own path. Like own it, right? And I, I really mean that. Um, now that I know that like entrepreneurship for me is a way of life, it's not about like what business I'm building or what product, it's a way of life for me. And I know it's one which is hugely enriching across like everything that I do and who I am. And, I, and knowing that now, if I could go back to my 21 year old self, I'd be like, appreciate that there are a bunch of skills you do not have that are not taught to your university, that are not taught to you in any kind of like formal way or in like your first job, that if you can go and get these and teach yourself, you will significantly reduce the pain and increase the likelihood of success when you go down that way of life. You know, I, when I went down, I made a lot of mistakes, right? And I look back at it now and it's like, a lot of them were just never needed to be made, but I didn't know any better. Right, it's, you know, the analogy I use is like, you know, you wouldn't go into a, a, a and it's probably a bad analogy, but you wouldn't go into like your, your dentist, right? And say, oh yeah, give me the drill, I'll have a crack at it. You know, I'll do my own teeth or I'll do someone else's teeth. It's like, we respect it's a profession. It's like, oh, you should go to medical school, get some training, right? You know, unfortunately our education system, in my opinion, is utterly broken for entrepreneurship. It doesn't like, it just, entrepreneurship curricular is not helpful. If actually a lot of the MBA programs teach you stuff that's actively ha damaging mm. for the entrepreneurial way of life, but but there is good stuff out there, like you know lean startup and a bunch of these skill sets, business, you know business model canvas information. Go learn those things. Go take them on board and try and reduce the risk because the, I think the biggest fallacy of entrepreneurship is like yeah we know we need to take risks, but it's not about taking huge risks, right? The serially successful entrepreneur, that's a difference. You can be a serial entrepreneur, but the serially successful entrepreneur understands the affordable loss principle, which is if in trying to learn X, I fail, will I have another bite of the apple, right? So can I afford to lose X in trying to learn Y such that I can have another go? Because if I can't afford to lose X, I shouldn't be doing it, it's too big a risk. Right? So this concept of like, you know, mortgaging your house, selling your second child, you know, putting all on red, spinning the wheel and hoping for the best, that's madness. Like just go to the casino. Like if you, if you really want to spin the wheel, go to the casino. But you can reduce the risk. So that's a skill set. And it's like actually I learned that it took me a long time to learn that sort of profession and those skills. Um, and I, I wish I did that a bit sooner. That's great advice. So Jordan, thanks so much for giving your time to me and the listeners today. Simon, thank you. It's been a pleasure. We'll nip over to YouTube now and give some extra time to people. Um, and so we'll be on YouTube now, folks, if you want to hear more from Jordan. Thanks.